Hello, everyone, and welcome to our monthly panel podcast entitled COP26, The Investment Focus. It is the 15th of November. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Bushra Ahmed and Alex Byrne. The gathering of almost 200 nations at the UN Climate Change Conference finally produced an agreement on limiting greenhouse gas emissions. It also produced a whole raft of headlines and pledges, or as Greta Thunberg would have it, enough blah, blah, blah to bewilder even an expert investor. Today, we will drill down into a couple of the key themes and look for some investment conclusions from the COP26. Bushra, could I ask you to kick off our discussion by giving your top takeaways from the conference? Morning, Lorna. Certainly. This, as we know, was the biggest global climate summit so far and sought bigger commitments building on the pledges from 2015. Because of these high expectations, it was the most followed, but also quite contentious. It has given us what we now call the Glasgow Climate Pact. And let me highlight the top five takeaways for me. Number one, the overarching message to me seemed very loud and clear, which was one of action. Time is up. We need substantial action and we need it now. And questions about why we should care is now very outdated. Number two was about commitments around phasing out of coal and fossil fuels, but they ended up being softer than expected. The third was probably all countries have been requested to strengthen their 2030 climate targets since the gap is still very large. Fourth was a lot of discussions around the $100 billion to be spent per year on supporting developing nations to mitigate and adapt to climate risk, saying that the commitment may be reached actually two to three years late, which was supposed to start last year, and there was going to be an increased share for climate adaptation specifically. And lastly, I'd say last week we also discussed the methane commitment, which is 100 countries signed up to a global pledge to cut methane emissions by 30% by 2030. Thank you for that. In your opinion, then, which is the most significant in the quest to keep 1.5 alive? Action. For me, the momentum of pledges and commitments is on the right track, especially those about each country's climate plan. We have heard from multiple reliable sources like the International Energy Agency that if all the pledges were delivered in time and in full, then we could limit global warming increase to less than 2.1 degrees. And that figure I know can vary between 1.8 degrees and 2.1 degrees. But that can't happen if the pledges are full of disclaimers and soft languages, i.e. we need true intention to lead these actions. We might just be able to save ourselves from the catastrophic climate emergency that we keep hearing about. Indeed we do. But we saw conflicting messages within some sectors, though. Could we focus on the car sector and more specifically electric vehicles as an example? Is the commitment to zero emission vehicles truly there from the major car producers? We saw the COP26 declaration that all new cars will be net zero by 2040. This includes automotive manufacturers that signed up to it like Ford and Mercedes, but also business fleet owners such as National Grid and IKEA. However, there are still two concerns with this. One, it's not quick enough. And two, there are still major companies that have not signed up to it, such as Volkswagen, Toyota, Renault Nissan and Hyundai IKEA meaning they will continue to sell petrol and diesel cars. And that is a problem because people will still be driving and polluting in the second half of this century and the dependency on fossil fuels will continue. Also, a lack of pledges from major car producers like US, China and Germany is concerning. It is. So there were positives, but also some negatives there. Alex, as Bushra outlined earlier, we have heard some significant pledges at COP26. How did the markets respond as they were announced? The markets over the last two weeks have been basically unmoved by the developments at COP. 
So many of the pledges, although significant, to phase down or phase out sectors or industries are decades away and running into the 2030s, 40s, 50s and even 60s. The path is still very, very unknown and analysts tend to look three or five years out at maximum and more often than not work quarter to quarter. So these decade long targets have got very minimal effect on the short term market movements. Also, there hasn't really been that many left field surprises. Coal was very high on the agenda. But the investment industry has been phasing down parts of the coal industry for years anyway. It may push more trend or thematic strategies to open or funds to change course towards these specific thematics, i.e. carbon aligned or Paris aligned targets, but in the short term it has very, very little effect. Yes, it's probably fair to say that the market's attention could have been elsewhere on the day. That's true. It's fair to say the market has got a lot to work through at the moment anyway. The big question at the minute is obviously whether transitory inflation is real or whether it's a fallacy. Um, That's been driving the bond markets over the last few weeks more than anything else. US inflation hit 6.2%. We saw Chinese and Japanese inflation at multiple decade highs last week. The EU's inflation continues to be very, very sticky. The US equity markets hit all-time highs through most of the last two weeks. Questions around Fed tapering and rises in other central banks. The Bank of England stalled launch in the rising of its interest rates. Funny enough, oil was off 2.6% last week and the energy index was off 5.3% on a month-to-day basis. But year-to-date, those are 71% and 69% up respectively. Energy has been the worst sector performer month-to-date, but it's very, very marginal and again, not specific to COP. Yes, it's hardly a dent in that performance there. But there's no doubt that the pledges and targets outlined at COP26 are longer term by nature. So any investment stories will probably play out over the medium to longer term. How do you see our investment strategies changing? The ESG analysis that we do and have been doing for a number of years across all of our funds, we can certainly dial this up and continue to use it thoroughly. There's a higher expectation in some of our managed funds as well on the ESG side of things. Obviously, the enforcement of SFDR currently in portfolios towards either level eight or level nine is a significant step and something we're looking at across all of our portfolios. Again, on some of our managed portfolios, we can exclude specific names or specific sectors in portfolios where we have the ability to do so. And also just the ability of a multi-manager to be flexible and allocate to the most relevant thematics at any one given time gives us some advantage. Yes, that flexibility is key, of course. But Bushra, we've been working at Architas to ensure that certainly the funds we invest in are compliant with UNPRI standards. How do we see that process evolving over time? Lorna, like Alex said, at Architas, we've been early to the game to realise a few years ago that we need to embed this, not just within our ESG-focused products, but across all products. What we want to do in the near future is start to look at how we update our assessments to be more in line with industry ambition now, target specific KPIs related to carbon footprint and diversity, equality and inclusion, and offer more products that promote or target sustainability. And at the heart of this is empowering our teams across the business through training and knowledge sharing exercises. So the vision is meaningfully brought to life through our daily tasks. And as for the investment standards for responsible investing, it has sometimes been difficult to pin down a consistent set of requirements across the industry. Are you encouraged by the announcement of a comprehensive global baseline on investment standards, this ISSB? Definitely. The consistent reporting struggle was real and a barrier for even the most well-intentioned organisations to achieve their full potential. Now we have a solution. So as long as the uptake is swift, we should be headed in the right direction and investors like us will have helpful information to make the decisions. Another initiative to also help channel finance to helpful businesses initiatives to fight climate change 
is the CFA Institute's ESG disclosure standards for investment products. This is all very encouraging. In summary then, Bushra, how do the pledges made at COP26 line up with the key goal of limiting global warming to one and a half degrees above pre-industrial levels? We know the negotiations at the summit was dynamic, to say the least, and we know the final agreed pact is softer than the draft pact, which I know skeptics are not as satisfied with. I do agree stricter commitments were needed, including more on global carbon pricing. We can still, however, achieve what we set out to at the start of this decade if we all take personal responsibility in all the roles we play, professionally or personally, to not just do better, but substantially better than before. That's a very optimistic view, and thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Lola.